Welcome to The Well Podcast, where we post the audio messages for our Sunday sermons. For more information about us and how to get further connected, feel free to visit our website at thewellaustin.com. Good morning. My name is Jacob Chapa. I'm a Covenant community member here at The Well. I also serve on the special operations team, the teardown team, and I go to the Brentwood CG. Today's reading is from the Song of Songs. While the king was on his couch, my nard gave forth its fragrance. My beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh that lies between my breasts. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms in the vineyards of Engedi. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves. Behold, you are beautiful, my beloved, truly delightful. Our couch is green. The beams of our house are cedar. Our rafters are pine. I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. As a lily among brambles, so is my love among the young women. As an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. With great delight I sat in his shadow, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. Sustain me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am sick with love. His left hand is under my head, and his right hand embraces me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. This is the word of the Lord. Bride of Christ, how we doing? Cool, cool. Song of Songs, chapter two. Uh, we got past the album intro, and we were like, oh, Oh, this joint a little spicy. So we back into it today. Uh, the scripture readers throughout this whole series are brave, 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 y'all. <laughs> brave, brave. So thank you, Chapa. I appreciate it, man. Um, hey, last week I said that I would begin most sermons with a 30-second caveat. And if you were here, you can uh, continue to set up your giving or look for that eligible bachelor across the room. So here it is, Okay. Uh, if you were not here last week, I would really encourage you to go back, listen to the sermon in general, uh, but particularly the first five to 10 minutes of that sermon. Uh, the reason being is that there's a ton of caveats that we could give about this book. And in order for us to receive some uh, depth, maybe more than what meets the surface, I think that understanding things like the book structure, like for example, how this likely wasn't written by Solomon, uh, or how to receive the relational dynamics, like how to receive this book as a single person, those caveats are going to really aid us each week. And so uh, for time's sake, I'm not going to caveat with that each week, but I would encourage you to go back, listen to it. It's helpful as you begin to frame this book at large. Uh, I will say this though, before we dive into this week and maybe add another caveat to the caveats I already added. So y'all can check back in now, okay? Um, throughout this series, I'm not going to hit on every relational dynamic that exists in this room. Uh, there are relational dynamics that exist in a room this size where an entire sermon would have to be given about how you can apply this song into your 
lives. And so instead of giving a ton of caveats, know that throughout this series, I am going to try to hit on a lot of those different relational dynamics. However, I want to encourage you that this song speaks to the stage that you find yourselves in relationally, particularly that stage romantically. And so if you're single or you're broken up with or you're recovering or you're just not really that interested or you're flourishing or you're in a new relationship or in your one, you're in one that needs revival, like, like it is here in this book. And so if you spend time learning how to mine the gold of this book, then you're going to receive bracelets and rings and necklaces of blessing for your relationship with Jesus as you learn to apply this vertically. And you will receive that gold of splendor as you learn how to apply it horizontally as well with your spouse, if you're in that stage, or ornaments of blessing for your own soul, no matter where you are relationally. And so though I can't really caveat everything, I can say this text is talking to you, friends. Like the text is for you. And because this is more proverb than it is poetry, then as you sit with it, you're going to find depth to it. Cool? Bet. So last week we talked about the importance of attraction in romantic relationships, what we should be attracted to, why attraction matters, like, like how in the world can God find us as attractive? And we talked about how some of y'all were fives thinking you were 9.5 and need some cologne. You had to be there, all right? Um, and so this week we're continuing to think about romantic relationships and we're tackling the topic of pursuits. What does pursuit look like and how do we do this well? Like what, who, how, and, and when should we pursue? And why is pursuit a godly thing? And like, what if we are single forever? How do we continue to pursue and recognize God's pursuit of us and our should be pursuit of him as well? If we're married, like how do we still pursue our spouse within marriage? Now, I will admit this sermon was originally entitled Dating, uh, following a somewhat linear structure of like attraction moved to dating in our culture. And I will be interweaving this idea of dating throughout uh, this sermon today. However, working through this text some, I think there's a more holistic idea of pursuit that dating definitely encapsulates, uh, but it isn't the full picture. Dating isn't even a biblical concept. Right? Now, it doesn't mean that it's wrong per se, it just wasn't present at the time of this writing. And so the idea of pursuit is a more holistic understanding that can be carried into dating or into courtship or dating within marriage or into our singleness, etc. And so what does pursuit look like in the Song of Songs? Well, let's chop it up some. First of all, for those who kind of follow a linear pattern to this book, they're gonna find passages like this really hard to reconcile because the king and the bride don't get married until chapter three, but here the king's on his couch and he's between her breasts. And it's like, if y'all just dating and y'all going way past some physical boundaries that I think is wise, y'all ain't got no purity boundaries in this mug, right? 
And so this isn't linear. It's important for us to remember that. But we see this theme of pursuit right from the jump of this passage as well, of her presence and her fragrance, things that she's doing to be attractive from last week and now carrying into making him desire to pursue her as we talk about this week. Now, this is one of the most important passages in this entire book. And so I just wanna highlight a couple of things and then we're gonna circle back around to verses 12 through 14 at the end because it's kind of one of the, the pinnacles of the book at large. Notice all the garden imagery that's here in these three verses. It'll turn even more garden in a moment, but you have nard and myrrh, you have henna blossoms and vineyards, you have engedi. And so for a Jewish reader, this would have immediately provoked the idea of a garden, which should have provoked Genesis chapter two sort of imagery where God made man and woman and they were in a garden and everything was perfect. Everything was right. This is Adam and Eve pre-fall of man. Even that word Engedi, if you have your physical Bibles, I would encourage you to circle that word because Engedi was this place in the middle of a desert that was literally an oasis garden in the midst of a lot of chaos, in the midst of a lot of desert, in the midst of a lot of destruction. There's this idea that your spouse should be your Engedi, a place of refuge in the midst of chaos. In fact, that Hebrew word in Gedi sounds very similar to the Hebrew word Eden. And so it draws forth these themes of garden again. And so we're gonna come back to this section at the end, but this starts this garden imagery. And for our theme today, it begins to inform us about our topic of pursuit. So her desire here is really clearly to be pursued. What she's doing is she's beckoning this pursuit of him. And what it starts is this back and forth sort of honor fest between the man and the woman in rapid succession of one another, where he speaks and she speaks and he speaks again. They engage in a game of praise. Like, like let's see who can honor the other person the most. She wins, by the way. All right. In fact, starting from chapter two, verse three, all the way to chapter four, she just talks the entire time, which I feel like any joke I give right there could immediately get me canceled. So she turned into Mindy from the office. All right. And so what she's doing from that point on is she's pursuing him physically and emotionally and verbally kind of the whole nine here. And so notice a few things here right? Last week, the husband calls her beautiful. And then once again, he calls her beautiful. So he's continuing his pursuit of her. One time, two times, 13 times is not enough. Verbal pursuit must continue in all relationships, particularly in romantic relationships. I better get five amens from some ladies up in here right? Like Christ doesn't tell you he loves you once. He says it across almost every single page of scripture. We should continue to bless each other with words as often as we are able to, particularly in the case of romance. Now she continues to kind of paint this forest scene here. After he blesses her with her beauty, she starts talking about their house. And what she's showing is kind of this unashamed nature of the garden, but also this idea of safety and security. Like practically, she really loves their dwelling place. 
And it's not because they live in the suburbs, so it feels safe. It's because he's there, so he makes her feel safe. There's a big difference there. And, and, and we'll see later that she actually makes him feel safe and free as well. This makes it a lot easier to invite pursuit and to pursue one another because there's a trust that begins to break up the shame that the enemy wants to put on relationships. Like, does your home or does your life, does your character say this is a place of safety? Like, like where we can come and chase and play and speak and freely pursue and be pursued by one another. Notice here, this pursuit uh, uh, breaks into her, this subtle attempt to flirt there in verse one. She compares herself to a common flower, right? This flower that she compares, she's like, ah, like I ain't that great. I'm, I'm kind of like the rest of the flowers, right? <laughs> And then all of a sudden, her reverse psychology flirtation attempt works because he pursues her again with words of affirmation. He says, girl, if you a simple flower, then all these other chicken heads, they some thorns. They some brambles in this mug, right? Bok, bok, chicken, chicken, all right? Couple of y'all old enough for that. Notice though, she was insecure last week, but then notice this week. She's secure all of a sudden. Like now she's like, look, I know that I'm a rose is what she's saying. Who did this? Who, who made her secure? Well, it was him we just read from his blessing and from his character that began to help form that inside of her. Such is the opportunity that we have with each other in all relationships, but particularly in the context of marriage. Are you picking up the nuggets the scripture is putting down here? There's an ability for us to literally image our savior Christ as we honor one another with our character and pursue one another in the midst of that. How beautiful is that, that we get to partake in the redemption of individuals' perception of themselves, family. And so this flirtation that she has, which is a form of pursuit, what made that possible? It was the man's character in the first place. But he's like, hey, you're a lily amongst the thorns or the brambles. Brambles is the Hebrew word thorns. And she's saying, look, all these other girls are whack, which thorns is also garden imagery. In fact, they're the dangerous. They're the cursed. They are the fall part of the garden where now this world produces thorns and thistles for us. And so there's a ton of wisdom that's here for us, friends. Like, like one of the wisdoms is that your spouse should be your standard of beauty. Like everyone else is gonna cut you up. Like, like all pursuit outside of marriage, once you are married, it will only leave you cut up even if that pursuit is just with your eyes. Notice he sees thorns outside of her Everything else will cut him up. And likewise, she begins to compare him as well. She just does a better job with words than he does, right? He bought a Hallmark card. She returned a handwritten card to him. She says, look, compared to all these other dudes who are, who are just trees is what she says. So she doesn't disrespect the other men and call them thorns, right? At least to her, we, we just plain, we boring. That's what she's saying, all right? 
But she says, hey, amongst all the other trees, you are an apple tree, which an apple tree in the middle of a forest would have been a very rare and pleasant and shocking sight. It would stand out. So she now begins to pursue him verbally with words as well. But now she moves past this verbal pursuit into a more romantic pursuit or more explicitly a more sexual pursuit of him. But the themes and the importance of pursuit, even though she's doing it in an intimate way, can be applied generally for all of us if we learn to mind them. There's this wisdom underneath this, right? They're just married. And so their pursuit might look different than ours in our singleness or in our dating or in our relationship with the Lord. But if you learn how to take what she's saying, glean from it and apply it, the wisdom is gonna be there nonetheless. And so she pursues him sexually. She says, look, your fruit is sweet to my taste. There's clearly some garden imagery once again here, but also this extreme intimacy and this extreme romance that's happening. Your brain doesn't have to go far to kind of conceptualize what she's saying here, right, in the midst of this. And what you can feel with her is this fast pace that's about to start happening here in this moment. It's as if you could feel her heart racing in the midst of this because she goes from this romantic pursuit to then all of a sudden saying, oh, and your, your love was like a banner that was over me, meaning everyone sees how much he loves her. She felt honored because he had a banner over her that said, she is mine, I love her, she is great. And she feels loved by this because he has covered her, if you will, by his love. Do you know how much it means to our significant others when we are in a public place and we publicly honor them? Like, like this shows our intentions. This shows that we are pursuing their honor, that we're lifting them up. That's true in any relationship, beloved, but particularly in romantic ones. It's interesting that Christ actually does the same thing to us, is it not? Like one day his banner over us will scream forth the love of Jesus and he will publicly bless and exalt us in front of all of his creation. His banner over you is love. Do you hear the banner of Christ singing in the midst of this song, family? If we learn how to apply this, there's depth here. But there's also really like easy practical things for us, right? Like honor others. It's an easy command that we should follow. Like hang a banner over other people that says they are awesome, like, especially with your spouse, pursue their honor because it will feel like you are pursuing their soul and like you are chasing after their glory. Y'all following me? Right? So, so she moves from this idea of like this intimacy to this, this banner of love. And then she goes back immediately into this garden imagery again. And she says, man, it's like apples and, and raisins which were thought to be aphrodisiacs in that culture. So they were highly erotic. Yet there's also this subtle warning in the midst of this beauty as well. So she's enjoying this and yet she's kind of fearful of this and yet she's exalting this and yet she's giving these warnings too. We'll talk about this more in a second, but there's a banqueting house that is there. 
This is where wine is consumed and celebrated. And you see that she says that she is sick with love, like she's tired. And so this love can be this awesome thrill ride, but it can also be intoxicating and even exhausting. She's worn out and yet she desires more. She needs food, and yet this is actually kind of like an aphrodisiac. It's powerful, and yet it is dangerous. It can wear you out, but then when it is not done in the right context, it can just leave you sick with love instead of being able to be restored by that love. You following that? Better get at least a couple of amens. Y'all with me today? We gotta stand up and stretch in the middle of class real quick. All right, we could do that if we want. Look, this is a subtle play on the power of love. Watch, listen, the, the, the greater the gift of God, the more damaging that gift can be, yeah? Like, like there's probably no greater gift than the gift of love because God is love. So we're practicing Godness himself. Yet, because this is such a great gift, when you are wronged by love, it is also one of the deepest pains. Yet love himself is also here to try to heal those wounds that have been created. Love himself is also pursuing you that you might find a wholeness and, and healing. And then from that wholeness and healing, be able to love others and your spouse and friends and church and the world and even love God himself more who originally gave you his love that you now get to return towards him, but you need to know how to be pursued by this love. God is able to pursue us. And so once again, y'all, don't just relate this horizontally. Like, like take this text and apply it vertically as well because love is dangerous is what she's saying. What she's saying is you might wanna learn how to both pursue and be loved by God before you learn how to pursue and love another person before you try to start to love others. Because if you do it in the wrong order, you might get sick and you might get intoxicated. And if you do not know how to handle that rightly, then you're going to get wounded, friends. Like, like and if you have been sick, family, and if you have been intoxicated, and if you have been hurt by love, then know that God is also here trying to pursue you, trying to heal you, just like this high character man did for this woman. Now she continues and she's enjoying this pursuit. If you follow the story here and you just paint it literally, what she's desiring is this rendezvous in the woods. That's literally what's happening here. And so she's like, hey, come out, like come pursue me. And he does. And this pursuit feels good for her, which the desire to be pursued is a good and a godly thing, family. It is a God-given desire. And so if you're single and you try to turn off that desire, you're trying to turn off something that God himself put in there because if you learn how to not just be pursued by a human, but how to allow yourself to be pursued by God himself, then you will feel pursuit in a way that no little boy or girl can ever give you. You will allow yourself to feel this love and this healing and this, this wholeness by a God who is continually pursuing you. 
But notice also, you and I can do that with each other, particularly in the context of a marriage. Humans can help us tangibly see what it looks like to have God pursue us played out amongst one another. And so he embraces her, is what it says, which that Hebrew word to embrace there is used both as a friendly greeting and also as a sexual encounter all throughout the scriptures. There are words that just mean friendly greeting. There are also words that just mean a sexual encounter. The writer clearly uses this ambiguous word to communicate to us what's happening here is this pursuit of both of these things where he is pursuing her romantically, but also pursuing her relationally in a friendship sort of stance. Now at this point you might be like, wait a minute. I thought we were gonna be talking about dating today. Like, what the heck does this have to do with dating? Well, pursuit, showing your intention and actively chasing after that is what is happening here. And that is a major part of dating. Here's my intention and I'm going to chase after you. The fact that I saw no head nod shows me we need to do a little bit more Q&A about how you date in this mug. Right? Like it is an easy, like, look, I'm interested in you. Let me show you some things about myself. Let me tell you some things about you. But then verse seven is massive in light of all of this romance that's floating around in the midst of this garden. The Shulamite adjures the young woman not to pursue love too early. In fact, this is covenant language. It's oath language. She's saying like, swear to God, promise not to do this. Why? Well, it's what we just said, the beauty and the danger of love. Love is not this passing fling, but rather a demanding and an exhausting relationship. Can a couple married folks say amen in here? Right? Like she's saying, not that loud. (laughs) Right? Like she's saying here, hey, listen, make sure that the person is willing to do what it takes to meet the demands that love requires. Make sure that your person is willing to do what it takes to meet the demands that love requires. Her lover is willing to do that. And God is also willing to do that. But many people that we pursue, they ain't willing to do that, y'all. Like, like, and we have to be mindful of the exhaustion that can come when we pursue the wrong person or when we allow the wrong person to pursue us. Listen, perhaps more than anyone, I think that single men and women expect more out of marriage than what it can actually deliver. This song provides this healthy balance between this celebrating and yet this cautioning of love because marriage ain't the end all be all. And so she's like, listen, all this sexual stuff that I'm saying, like I know that it sounds great and it is, but it's also very exhausting. And if your person doesn't have the character to sustain, then you will not be refreshed by that person in the long term. This exhaustion will lead to tiredness and tiredness will lead to death. So you have to make sure that you handle romance rightly. So the question becomes almost an identical question from last week. Are you pursuing the right person? And are you pursuing the right things at the right time with the right person? 
Are you pursuing someone or allowing the pursuit of someone that has godly character? Do you enjoy being chased by anyone or are you recognizing that only certain people has what it takes to sustain you for the long haul? And I'm intentionally leaving that somewhat ambiguous because yes, in the midst of marriage, this is true, but also our brothers and sisters in Christ can rightly pursue us because if they're pursuing us for the right reason, they have high character and they will also refresh us. They're not trying to use us. Hello, come on, right? Are you pursuing the right things at the right time? Are you pursuing them over what they can give you? Like practically, what she's saying here is, listen, don't have sex until you're in this covenant with someone who has the character to play out this covenant. Like, like in our sex craves culture, that wisdom seems archaic for many. However, understanding and knowing the depth of an individual, not just knowing them sexually is important for every relationship to truly thrive. Like for those of you who are married, you know that sex isn't everything. In fact, while it's really important within marriage, you know it's not even near the most important thing in the midst of marriage. Like dating and pursuing your spouse, understanding them beyond what they can give, but understanding who they are and pursuing their character and lifting them up is vital even within the context of marriage, not just in the context of dating. In fact, perhaps it's even more important when you're married. Like, like another really easy practical step if you're not, putting with the, seeing what the scripture putting down, like, like still date your spouse, like date them, right? Like, like still pursue them, chase after them. Yet you are even more free in the, in the compounds of a marriage to pursue and to chase them even more fully. And so you should be doing that. Like one of the very practical things that I hear in our church often, even for those who aren't married and can't apply that piece of wisdom is that people are afraid to date because they're afraid that they'll mess up their church relationships and their friendships. But y'all, if it's done biblically, if you're pursuing the person and their character over what they can give you, then honestly, that shouldn't really be of high concern. It only fractures when you awaken other forms of love too early that cause exhaustion, loss, chaos, thorns, or intoxication. And one of the many things that this text is saying is that there's a way to pursue that is safe, it's healthy, it's good. There are ways to pursue within marriage, both emotionally and sexually that are good, but what it's saying is you should learn how to pursue the right things at the right time with the right people. Uh, maybe said like this, particularly if you are single, you can tell a lot about the person when they pursue you for what you can give them like sex, as opposed to what they can give you like blessing and honor. And that's true in every relationship, right? Like character is exposed really quickly and really safely when you're understanding the play of love. There's a reason that God placed inside of us a desire to be pursued. Once again, this is a godly thing. And so if you're married, pursue your spouse, it'll reflect the Christ-like desire that is inside of you. And if you're dating even, like pursuit can be this awesome, this thing, but, but if you're single, what can happen is it can begin to feel like there's something that's missing. 
But once again, if you learn how to apply this vertically, family, like, do you know who is relentlessly pursuing you if you would hear him knocking at the door of your hearts, beloved? Like, like you're not missing something because you are not in a human romantic relationship. Like, can I say this? Uh, in this series, not in our, this series, in our church in general, we are not discipling you towards marriage. We are discipling you towards Christ. And listen, yes, this is about two married people. That is the main application of this Song of Songs. But if you recognize that marriage does not make you whole, hello, like you do realize that Paul was single, right? And he said it was better if we remain single. Like, like Christ, our savior, the most perfect and the most whole human that ever existed was single and was lacking nothing. He was awaiting to be married to us on that great day. So God will likely never remove the desire from any of us to be pursued and to be chased after because it is a godly desire that ultimately can only be found in him. But in the right context, we can also display Christ to one another to further stir up our affections and awaken even more for Christ. Like notice the beauty of this, of this nuance, of this dance here. Like the world would have you thinking that all you need to pursue is sex and marriage. But then once you're married, you realize it's hard work. That's what she's saying here, right? And then if you pursued that for the wrong reasons, then it's tempting to try to pursue someone else for marriage and sex because you don't get what marriage is about. Like emotional intimacy, the gifts of marriage are great, but if you don't understand the purpose of marriage, then you're gonna be pursuing the wrong things and you will be sick, exhausted, intoxicated, tired, thorns, death, family. We need to recognize the reality of this. And the world's discipleship gets us stuck in this culture because they say, hey, romantic relationships are about emotional fulfillment or, or sex or, or these needs that you don't have that can't be met by anyone else. Man, bullcrap. They can be met by God if you learn how to rightly identify those desires and realize where God is trying to fulfill them, y'all. There's so much more than this. Listen, a couple of months ago, I was walking somewhere and I saw the most beautiful lawn I've ever seen in my life. Y'all are like, how'd he get over here from what he was just saying? I'll circle it back, all right? I'm walking and I mean, it was way off in the distance and everything else around it was like dead, dead. Like a couple of months ago, so it's the middle of the winter. Y'all know how winter in Texas be. Everything's dead, right? No, no trees, no like leaves, no uh, uh, grass was not green. I was walking and I was like, Oh my, this is beautiful. Now, if you've been at the well for more than two months, you know, I don't like outside. So the fact that I was like, yo, this is gorgeous. And I started walking towards it should be saying something, right? And I'm walking over towards it. And when I got uh, probably like here to the, the podium stand thing right now away, finally I realized, oh, this mug is fake. <laughs> Y'all, it was a whole lot with fake trees in that mug. Like the leaves looked real, the grass looked real. I literally bent down and tried to like pull on it just to see, right? And when I did that, I pulled up and underneath it was all this like dry, dead dirt. I was like, this mug is completely fake. And I think the world that we live in, it's a desert, y'all. The world that we live in is like that fake lawn. 
Because buried underneath the earthly mass of luscious garden-like life is a dry land where true flowers are impossible to grow. And if you keep being discipled by the world rather than the scriptures, you're gonna realize no flowers in your soul is growing, family. The lover of all lovers is inviting us to a true Engedi, a true oasis in the midst of a desert land where our souls can actually flourish. Only the garden of God can do what you desire to have happen in your soul, family. And if you pursue the right person for the right reason at the right time, what you'll realize is they can help aid that process, but they will never replace that process. Only Christ himself can do that. And this lover is pursuing you. This lover is inviting you into his presence, into a Psalm 23 shepherd-like green pastures process. Because you see, ultimately this song points us to the beauty of romantic relationships done right. And yet we also know that no human relationship can measure up against the one that God longs to have with us because this song is ultimately a massive foreshadowing of someone who is true and better. While the original audience was called backwards to the Garden of Eden, we on this side of the cross understand that this is also calling us forward to Revelation 21, where we will be in the midst of a new garden with our Savior forever. The true and better garden with the God who ultimately shows us what true pursuit looks like. You see, Jesus also invites us to taste and see that the Lord is good. She says, his apple was sweet to my taste. And yet the father is saying, come and see me though. Like you think that's great. I want you to taste of me. He says, I know something better. And Jesus would become a man to pursue you and I as his bride. Jesus would also be unashamed to display his love in front of everyone. However, where this man publicly honored and blessed this woman and he himself was a publicly honorable man, Jesus became the better husband because Jesus was crucified naked, like Genesis chapter three, thorns in the wilderness, ashamed nature. It was complete shame while Christ was on that cross. And Jesus also had a banner that was over his head that said the king of all Jews, an ultimate banner of love that said, even though the world mock me, yes. And even though we ourselves reject his pursuit of us, he's gonna show us that display of love anyway. Family, you and I did not wanna be pursued by God, but Jesus became sick with love, so much so that it cost him his life. In order for Jesus to invite us into the garden of heaven, he first had to invite his disciples into the garden of Gethsemane and watch him be willing to become sick and ultimately lose his life for his bride. Jesus is the true and better. Listen, this passage there, I said, we'll circle back to it. Verses 12 through 14. Let's go there one more time. It's a, one of the crux of this, uh, uh, this section. This bride is adorned with these really sweet, but also these really rare fragrances. In fact, outside of the song, that word nard is only used when we're preparing Jesus for his burial. In fact, if you look at the emphasis, the emphasis is not on the nard, but on the fragrance of what is happening. And if you go to where the woman broke the alabaster jar over Jesus, it wasn't about the nard, it was about the fragrance that filled up the room. Like myrrh is 
very rarely mentioned in the scriptures. It's mentioned in a prophetic Psalm 45 that's talking about Christ to come. It is gifted to Jesus at his birth, but then also placed on Jesus at his death. And then there's some henna blossoms, which is interesting. That word is translated as the price of a life or as a ransom throughout the rest of the Old Testament. This is the only time it's presented as flowers because it's kind of weird to say, and you are like the price of my life. And so they say, well, maybe it's like henna. You know, we still use henna today, right? Like the fake tattoos, it covers you. You put something in henna and it completely consumes it. It ransoms it. And so we know the type of flower that she's talking about, meaning she says, my beloved to me is a ransom in the garden in the middle of the wilderness. He is the price of my life. Y'all, what? <laughs> like, like this Jesus whose feet would get anointed with nard and myrrh be wrapped in his body, literally placed between his breasts while he is in that tomb would also become the ransom for us. The true henna blossom, the true price of our life, a true garden in the middle of the wilderness. And Jesus would ultimately pursue us even to the point of death so that we who believe might receive an invitation and a beckoning by the lover of our souls to come into the greater garden. Notice, Jesus rightly pursued us. You know how some people pursue romantic relationships for things like sex? Like, like they pursue, but, and we maybe, I should say, pursue because of what we could get out of somebody. But Jesus didn't pursue us because of what he could get from us. He pursued us because of what he could give to us, the ultimate lover, and because of this, Jesus rightly pursued us. And because of this, no matter where we may find ourselves, what you and I can rightly receive is this divine pursuit. And through this, learn how to allow pursuit of the right people and how to pursue others in a Christ-like way. Or you and I can learn to be totally content in our stage of life, knowing that the desire to be chased will not be replaced. It will only be fulfilled by somebody who is a better chaser after you anyway. That ain't no man, ain't no woman gonna be able to fulfill this. Now you can receive from others this love that you first received from Christ, y'all. Hallelujah. The song is pointing us to someone better. And so beloved, in light of the gospel, there are really easy applications that we could pursue, right? We talked about several of them already. Like, like remember that quick pace, the he talks, she talks, he talks, she talks. Like, like, do you do that in your relationship with God? Like you talk, prayer, he talks, scripture. He talks, silence, you talk, worship. Do you begin to pursue this so that you can feel the pursuit of God? Like, I think oftentimes we're like, well, why is God pursuing me? Are we pursuing him, family? And when that happens, you and I can begin to receive this divine affection where we can feel the satisfaction of the soul that the soul is screaming out for. Married people, you now represent Christ in the church, the ultimate song. Like, are you pursuing your spouse? Still, I don't care how long you've been married. Like, like date them. You don't got it in the bag, right? <laughs> Like, like, I know that love is exhausting. That's what she says, but you're now married. You need to be willing to work so that your marriage can represent this song and so that you both can be fulfilled despite the tiring nature of it. Like people that are dating or wanting to date, pursue the right things in the right order. 
Recognize character. Don't awaken erotic love too early. Get to know and pursue someone's soul before you pursue somebody's body, right? Like, like remember Christ who pursues your soul first and then will resurrect your body at the last day? You see how we can apply the gospel over all things? Okay, I'm over time. And I have more to say. But luckily we're in this for a couple more weeks, all right? And so what is the lacking? I would encourage you, pick up in community groups this week. There's more about this idea of pursuit. But ultimately, beloved, what I encourage and implore you to do is not awaken love at the wrong time. And I wanna tell you who has awakened that inside of you. It is ultimately Christ himself. And if you learn to receive it there, then you will learn to rightly give it everywhere else. And we will be a church that is representing the beauty of the gospel, no matter what our romantic stage of life is until the true lover of our soul takes us home. Amen? Amen. Hey, I love you guys like crazy. Let's pray together. Jesus, Christ, ultimately, only you, Jesus, know how to pursue a soul. I am a physical man in a physical body. It is so hard for me to pursue a spiritual soul. But I know where these desires to be pursued and to be loved, I know where they are originating from. I think you have placed them inside of our souls. And so Christ, I pray that you would begin to teach us how to receive this pursuit from you, Jesus. How to receive your love, how to receive your compassion, how to receive your mercies and grace, how to receive your agape love until we go home to be wed to you forever. Jesus, you are good to us. Oh my gosh, Christ, I pray that you would awaken a holy desire to receive your love and grace inside of each of these men and women in this room. Father, I pray for those who walked into this room today, not knowing where they stood in relationship with you. Friend, if you came in, you're like, I don't really know if I'm a Christian. I don't know about this God thing. I don't know. Like, I want you to know that the divine God of the universe, the one who both created your soul and therefore knows how to love your soul is pursuing you today. These scriptures are not just archaic words on a page, but I believe the Holy Spirit right now is wanting to speak into your hearts a desire for you to come into intimacy with him. And as we say, yes, Jesus, I I give myself to you. I desire to be pursued by you. I desire to walk this out. And as we begin to receive his pursuit of us by faith saying, I want relationship, then you and I enter into that covenant of relationship forever. It's a covenant, much like marriage that shouldn't be broken. Christ is the faithful husband who will never break that covenant who will woo you all the way into the kingdom of God if you believe in him. And I think today, the Father is calling some of you to place your faith in him. To say, God, I realize what my soul was lacking. I desire relationship with you. I would invite you to do that, to place your faith in Jesus to receive the lover of your souls. 
And God, I pray for all of us who have made that profession of faith, who have said, I desire you, God, who have allowed your pursuit of us despite our lack of pursuits of you. God, I pray we would receive your love. You have made us a new creation. We are now spiritual people. We can actually now bless a soul with your love inside of us because we now have divine love in us. How crazy. And so God, I pray we would do that for one another. God, even as I'm praying, I just, I think about, I know there is some anxiety even in our church coming into this series. And I believe it's because there are very few things that the enemy wants to attack more than relationships. which is why the church and church unity so frequently gets attacked. That's why there's a temptation to create fractures because of our own selfishness or wounding or hurt or whatever it might be. And yet you, God, continually try to draw us back. And so I pray you would heal marriages, that you would maintain unity, that you would allow us to fight for a soul, that you would allow us to to be able to see one another and lay down our lives for the sake of their upbuilding. Would you allow us to image this song, Jesus? Whether we are in our marriages, I pray there first. In the midst of our church, I pray there in a massive way. I pray, Jesus, that you would do really beautiful things. And I pray, Christ, that where people have failed us, that you would remind us that you never will. Where marriages, or relationships, friendships, where we have failed ourselves, I pray that you would remind us you are the true lover of a soul. Help us to receive from you, Jesus. I pray healing over these men and women right now in your beautiful name, Christ. Amen. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. If you want more information about us or how to get further connected, please visit our website, thewellaustin.com.